Section 5 of The Forsaken Inn by Anna Catherine Green. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 5 An Interim of Suspense. May 5, 1791. How fearful to hear a spade in the night and know that this spade is digging a grave. I sit at my desk and listen to hear if anyone in the house has been aroused or is suspicious, and then I turn to the window and try to pierce the gloom to see if anything can be discerned from the house of the gruesome act now being performed in the garden. For after much consultation and several conferences with the authorities, we have decided to preserve from public knowledge not only the secret of the room hidden in my house, but of the discovery which has lately been made there. But while much harm would accrue to me by revelations which would throw a pall of horror over my inn and make it no better than a place of morbid curiosity forever, the purposes of justice would be rather hindered than helped by a publicity which would give warning to the guilty couple and prevent us from surprising them in the imagined security which the lapse of so many years must have brought them. And so a grave is being dug in the garden, where, at the darkest hour of night, the remains of the sweet and gentle bride are to be placed without tablet or mound. Meanwhile, do there hide in any part of this wicked world two hearts which throb with unusual terrors this night? Or does there pass across the mirror of a guilty memory any unusual shapes of horror, prognostic of detection and coming punishment, it would comfort my uneasy heart to know, for the spirit of vengeance has seized upon me, and my house will never seem washed of its stain, or my conscience be quite at rest as to the past, till that vile man and woman pay in some way the penalty of their crime. That we know nothing of them but their names lends an interest to their pursuit. The very difficulty before us the hopelessness almost of the task we have set ourselves have raised in me a wild and well-nigh superstitious reliance on providence and the eternal justice so that it seems natural for me to expect aid even from such sources as dreams and visions and make the inquiry in which i have just indulged the reasonable expression of my belief in the mysterious forces of right and wrong which will yet bring this long triumphant but now secretly threatened pair to justice. Dr. Kenyon, who is as practical as he is pious, smiles at my confidence, but Mr. Tanworth neither mocks nor frowns. He has shouldered the responsibility of finding this man, and has often observed in his long life that a woman's intuition goes as far as a man's reasoning. Tomorrow he will start upon his travels. June 12th, 1791. It is foolish to put every passing thought on paper, but these sheets have already served me so well that I cannot resist the temptation of making them the repositories of my secret fears and hopes. Mr. Tamworth has been gone a month, and I have heard nothing from him. This is all the more difficult to bear that Dr. Kenyon also has left me, thus taking from my house all in whom I can confide, or to whom I can talk. For I will not place confidence in servants, and there are no guests here at present 
upon whose judgment I can rely concerning even a lesser matter than this which occupies all my thoughts. I must talk, then, to thee, unknown reader, of these lines, and declare on paper what I have said a thousand times to myself, what a mystery this whole matter is, and how little probability there is of our ever understanding it. Why was it that Edwin Urquhart, if he loved one woman so well that he was willing to risk his life to gain her, would subject himself to the terrors which must follow any crime, no matter how secretly performed, by marrying a woman he must kill in twenty-four hours? Marriages are not compulsory in this country, and any one must acknowledge that it would be easier for a strong man, and he certainly was no weakling, to refuse a woman at the nuptial altar than to undertake and carry out a scheme so full of revolting details and involving so much risk as this which we have been forced to ascribe to him. Then the woman, the unknown and fearful creature, who had allowed herself to be boxed up and carried, God knows how many fearful miles, just for the purpose of assuming a position which she seemingly might have obtained in ways much less repulsive and dangerous. Was it in human nature to go through such an ordeal? And if it were, what could the circumstances have been that would drive even the most insensible nature into such an adventure? I question and try to answer my own inquiries, but my imagination falters over the task, and I am no nearer to the satisfaction of my doubts than I was in the harrowing minute when the knowledge of this tragedy first flashed upon me. I must have patience. Mr. Tamworth must write to me soon. August 10th, 1791. News, news, and such news. How could I ever have dreamed of it? But let me transcribe Mr. Tamworth's letter. To Miss Calissa Truax, Mistress of the Happy-Go-Lucky Inn. Respected Madam, After a lengthy delay, occupied in researches, made doubly difficult by the changes which have been wrought in the country by the late conflict, I have just come upon a fact that has the strongest bearing upon the serious tragedy which we are both so interested in investigating. It is this, that every year the agent of a certain large estate in Albany, New York, forwards to France a large sum of money for the use and behoof of one Honora Quentin Urquhart, daughter of the late Cyrus Dudley of Albany, and wife of one Edwin Urquhart, a gentleman of the same city, to whom she was married in her father's house on January 27, 1775, and with whom she at once departed for France, where she and her husband have been living ever since. Thus by chance, almost, have I stumbled upon an explanation of the tragedy we found so inexplicable, and found the clue to the whereabouts of the wretched pair which is so essential to their apprehension and the proper satisfaction of the claims of justice. With great consideration I sign myself, your obedient servant, Anthony Tamworth. August 11th, 8 o'clock. I was so overwhelmed by the above letter that I found it impossible at the time to comment upon it. Today it is too late, for this morning a packet arrived from Mr. Tamworth containing another letter of such length that I am sure it must be one of complete explanation. I burn to read it, but I have merely had time to break the seal and glance at the first opening words, 
Will my guests be so kind as to leave me in peace tonight, so that I may satisfy a curiosity which has become almost insupportable? Midnight. No time tonight. Too tired almost to write this. August 12th. The packet is read. I am all of a tremble. What a tale! What a... But why encumber these sheets with words of mine? I will insert the letter and let it tell its own portion of the strange and terrible history which time is slowly unrolling before us. End of chapter 5